Friends, Romans, countrymen, let me hear us. Hello, everyone. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 91 with Stefan from the Flowbots. It is Monday, Memorial Day, May 25th, 2020. And I hope you're all doing well. Our son is three weeks old. So let's kick things off with a message from Bobby. This is a new segment of the show I call Letters to Atlas. Is he sleeping? Is he pooping? Just checking in. How's a little boy doing? These are some messages that you left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for Letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone. Hello, Atlas. Uh, my name is Barry. I'm calling from England. I uh, just want to say welcome to the world and wish you all the best for the future. Bye. Oh, Bobby, that was so good. Right to the point and our first international call. So he's going to love that. I can't wait one day to travel with this dude to show him all the beautiful places I've been. And, you know, it's being a dad is fun. I, I'm starting to realize that having two to four hour increments of sleep is fine. You know, I'm getting stuff done. I've been able to maintain the podcast, been able to keep putting out the Patreon stuff. And um, I want to shout out my wife because she is doing so great. Shout out to Ash Wednesday, who was a guest on the podcast about a month ago. And um, she's just doing awesome. And shout out to Barbara, of course, our mother-in-law who we're staying with during the COVID-19 pandemic, who has been helpful with so much. So that's what's up. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Before we do, I need to shout out the Patreon Larsons Holler. We're still doing the Marvel songs. I just subscribed to the Marvel Comics, like, unlimited uh, iPad subscription thing. And I think it's cool because I'm going to start referencing the other characters from the comics that aren't in the movies. So that's cool. I've also been watching uh, Comic Book Men on uh, Amazon Prime Video, which was Kevin Smith's show about his comic store in Red Bank, New Jersey, which I hadn't really watched. But if you haven't checked it out, it's dope. It's like Pawn Stars meets Comic Shop. So it's got me thinking about different elements of the MCU songs. And uh, so it's all good. So we got Spider-Man Homecoming coming up like next week. And then we got the Doctor Strange song, and it's all good. So, shout out to the Patreon Larsons. This week's episode is brought to you by the old ones, Marissa, Kelton, and Charles in Austin. Shout out to the new ones, uh, Tori, Andrew, and Brian. Thank you very, very much. If you want to check out the archive of like 100 plus songs, patreon.com slash mclars. There's a lot of songs. Basically, all those songs haven't been released, or if they have, Maybe like 10 of them I re-recorded and released commercially. So check that out. Um, if you support a certain level, you get like pins, art. I'm doing private live stream shows. I'm going to resume my stage at concerts in June. And what else? Just a lot going on. Um, but let's get into this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. This Friday, Revenge of the Nerds 2 is my collab song with like all my nerdcore rappers friends. Should be on Spotify if everything's going well. So I'll promote that. And I'm going to bring back 27th Street next month. There's a lot coming down the pipeline. So let's start off this episode. I want to give some context. So Stefan Brackett, a.k.a. Brer Rabbit of the Flowbots, uh, is a friend of mine I met through JJ Italiano, who's my former manager and a dude who I've known for, gosh, 12 years, 14 years. Um, we we start, I'm going to start this podcast off with a message that Br'er Rabbit left me, which precipitated this interview. And in the podcast, he talks about the origin of his band's name, what it was like to have their big hit song, Handlebars. Some of you might remember that 2008, that song was like charted super high and was like, went super viral. And uh, yeah, he talks about um, the comic book classroom, uh, which is a project he works on in Colorado about using comic books for literacy and visiting people in jail to help them relate to characters in comic books to be empowered and literate. And it's just a really good interview. And what I what struck me about this is um, Stefan's intense introspective wisdom, but also like I ask him, are you a positive guy? Are you an optimistic guy? And he's like, no, I'm not blindly optimistic. I think if you if you do that, you don't realize where things can change. So I was like, I've been thinking about that a lot, especially during the pandemic, right? Like this has been going on forever and I've had to reschedule shows and it's been financially like difficult for everyone. And you know, and you don't want to hear me talking about the COVID-19 on and on and on and on, but it's been hard. And so it's like, that's important to be able to, express when you feel stuck you know what i miss i miss like going to the movies i miss uh, i miss like going to the gym i miss seeing my friends i miss like going to starbucks and just working all day on lyrics and i know being a new dad I, those, many of those things i wouldn't be doing now but 
it's not been fresh. So, you know, whatever. Hopefully things will get better by the end of the year. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, good news is we are booking shows for 2021, uh, U.S. and international. It's the graduate 15th anniversary, which was like my breakthrough record I put out right after college. So just stay tuned for that. But um, anyway, enough enough promotion. I want to get into Br'er Rabbit of the Flowbots. Before we do, I'm going to play his message. Then I'm going to play the Hot Topic bumper, which I always use before the interviews, and then we'll get into it. This is my interview with Stefan from the Flowbots. Holler! Hello, Andrew. This is Stefan Brackett, a.k.a. Br'er Rabbit from Flowbots. I was calling because I had a dream, and then, yes, I wanted to call you just because, I, you know, dreams are many ways of our intuition by telling us about certain things that are incredibly timely. But long story short, now that I've been working with students again in classrooms, something has struck me. Um, and it's the, it's the fact that even though hip-hop is the most popular genre, um, it is the least understood. Like when I talk to my students about where hip-hop came from, it was as many different cities as there were students in my classroom. So it also seems to me that whatever work that you're doing now, it's also um, an act of heritage and preservation and um, ensuring that the rituals of the practice that we're liberating in the first place can actually be carried on as opposed to how the market and everything has shaped this art form so it's not actually liberating in the way that it was. So if anything, I just hope that this is a conf- is confirmation that the work that you are doing is exceedingly important. Uh, and yeah, please keep doing. But anyway, man, I hope you find this. I hope uh, I hope this finds you well, and I'll talk to you whenever it's convenient. Bye, right, man. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Stefan of the Flowbots, a.k.a. Br'er Rabbit, a.k.a. activist, teacher, rapper, performer, and a longtime friend. I've known you, what, 12 years, Man. 13 years? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it's intimidating when you say it like that. Man. We met through JJ, who's a mutual friend of ours, who um, was your, your guys' first manager, right? Yes. Is that correct? That's totally correct, yes. Without JJ, I don't think anything would have happened for us. You know that like it's... It's it's always about having the right team, and JJ was absolutely absolutely like the most perfect creative managerial partner. It was just amazing, and 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 he's introduced me to a host of amazing people. You guys went to school with him. Was that how that worked out? How did you connect? So our guitar player Andy, he and JJ went to um, what was it? I believe it was Metro together or or UC Denver together in their in their music business program, and that's where they met, and started scheming about how to disrupt the music business and like they've, they've never stopped and JJ continues to do it. Uh, if, if you want to do any kind of high level, like heist schemery, JJ Italiano is the best person in the world to do it with. We met cause I was at the agency group and he was my agent for a long time. Yeah. And, um, we, we bonded over our love of ska and mm-hmm. like hip hop. And, um, we kind of became closer when he moved to LA, I was living in Hollywood too and i'd see him a lot and around that time i remember seeing your guys's posters everywhere and like watch you guys perform at the the mall there and must have been a crazy ride when that single blew the heck up like do you want to talk about that briefly what that was like well i mean the uh i don't know if you've seen that uh movie like with tom hanks that thing you do right um because well, it's all about this like this band that comes into ascendancy in the 50s and there's this point in time where the whole band is like sitting together and they hear their song on the radio for the first time and um that's exactly what it was like for us when we had, were touring yeah. in this like cramped van that we're kind of living in and we we're driving to LA and on our way to LA we heard them play our song on K-Rock and like they, they played it and we were just so excited and we're just like we're all just like moshing inside of the van tearing the thing to pieces and then shortly thereafter the dj's like huh well that was handlebars by flowbots kind of a silly song but moving on <laughs> it's just what? A, well it was just it's an amazing yeah. it was an amazing contrast it was such a a beautiful thing to pair with this this beautiful meals like this, this like black licorice at the end of our <laughs> filet mignon we're just like oh so like it really crystallized that memory for us because like it's like no, is this real yes this is real because if it weren't real something that sucky wouldn't have happened right after 
<laughs> but yeah, man, it was it was it was really amazing to kind of be uh, caught up in a whirlwind moment. Um, you know, it's something that like so many bands and so many musicians kind of hope for, for that like that um, you know that incontrovertible proof that your music is reaching people. Um, and that was yeah. There's there's nothing that I can say that can diminish uh, how beautiful and amazing that was, especially to be feeling that with these friends and collaborators turned family uh yep it was absolutely incredible dude that's awesome and then you and um johnny five did a tedx or a ted talk about what was called how to build a fans into a community yeah is that what it was called man you're asking me to remember stuff like you ever have this thing like if you have times where like somebody might quote you one of your lyrics and you're like i wrote that <laughs> yeah right or oh that sounds smart that sounds like something i wish i said <laughs> oh really that wasn't me crazy um yeah so i i have no idea what that was called but like the contents of said of, of said ted talk are very close to my heart it was so cool to see how you all really used your platform to help with the 2008 election and did that uh did that stuff with rage against the machine and like really a, a positive moment in a weird time in, in the music industry. And like, yeah. was Flowbots always like a politically minded project or did that kind of come later? Um, so actually that's what Flowbots was from jump. When we put the live band together, all of that stuff, that's what the project was entirely for. Uh, Johnny five and myself, we've been friends since I was in the fourth grade and he was in the fifth grade. <laughs> Wow. And even and even like and way back then, like we thought we were gonna be making comic books together. And that's what we spent all of our time doing. It's just like so in that's in the handlebar song, like me and my friend made a comic book. He's talking about uh he and myself like working on all these comics. And if you were to read any of the comics that we did, they are so heavy handedly social justice war here. It's it's, it's almost <laughs> embarrassing. That's tight. <laughs> like our characters were talking to oh man, they're talking about police violence <laughs> and like um the structures of racism and class and all of these things and heteronormativity normativity and all these things. Like, I mean, this is the stuff that we were talking about in like fifth and sixth grade. Wow. So like, as our relationship grew and as our love with hip hop grew, that was the stuff that also um, attracted us to hip hop was artists who were able to deal with all the complexities of life and talk about them. Um, well, particularly artists that, that chose to talk about and engage those things were, were uh, artists that really, really inspired us. So when we were falling in love with hip hop, we were falling in love with that um, unrelenting creative critique that hip hop can often uh, provide. So music as something more than just music, like as a way to to inspire people and motivate people. And if if you were to ask me, what's like the the true um, template for the finest activist? And I would say a teacher. Like, uh, like an excellent teacher in a classroom who's encouraging young minds not to think like the teacher, but to think for themselves, to, to create lifelong learners and thinkers is the most beautiful way to create people who can responsibly contribute to a democracy. Like if people are informed and part of the conversation and empowered to it, and that's, that's what we always sought to do with our activism and our music. We felt like, well, how do we have this conversation? How do we invite more people to it? And that's, and maybe people don't talk about it enough, but I feel like a lot of us or anybody who has like put art out into the public, you realize that like, you know, 50% is what you put into it. The other 50% is what people give you from it. And it's, it's this mm. beautiful dialogue. And, um, and I feel like for us, as long as we are able to keep those lines of communication open and be humble enough to hear what people were saying, then we were trying to model a world that we had not yet seen yet. And doing hip hop in a way that, I mean, sonically with live instruments, there are always those those live hip hop groups, but I don't remember hearing any bands from Denver that ever sounded like y'all, or even maybe from the West Coast in general, like having that unique aesthetic. When did you realize, let's make this a live band instead of just running like a samples and beats? How did that come about? Man, so like, technically Flowbots, the first Flowbots album was put out on a cassette, like back in 1994, 1995. Wow. Um, yeah. What was that one called? So let me see. The very first one is called um, Masters of the Universe. It's <laughs> tight. And then the second one was called Reindeer Games. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Those are the two cassettes. And like, 
the very first version of the Flowbots actually was a live band. This is all when we were still in high school. Um, and that, that album took forever to write. Um, but then, then as we I kind of got going a little bit more, um, like we started doing shows. It was like me and Jamie at first. And like we had a CD player, right? It's just like us going to uh-huh. Discman. And those were brutal. Right. Like I remember certain shows at bars, like Jamie and I were jumping around too much and the music would skip, you know? Right. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. life. And it's just like, it's also just something else to be like, all right, that song's done. Now you walk over and you hit the Discman and like you hit the next one, the whole crowd hears the beep. Like, yeah, man, <laughs> old school technology problems. And like, we just felt like a lot of ways, like we weren't able to, we weren't connecting the way that we wanted to. So, um, right. uh, Andy, who's been like a longtime friend and a friend of ours in high school, was just like, hey, man, like, how about doing a Flowbot show with a band? Because he had this funk band, Bop Schism. And um, mm. uh, there was a show. It was during the Iraq War. And he, he was going to do a show called Funk the War. And he wanted to do like a set with his band backing us up. And we're like, sure, cool. Let's try that. And he, it, from the first rehearsal, we're like, we're never going back to the Discman again. This is something else. This is this is yeah. like being in a fist fight with six of your best friends, right? Like you're just like <laughs> right. you're just it's it's more like um a uh oh gosh. Oh. oh what is the name of that what is the name of that that old school Nintendo game? Uh it was a beat 'em up with you and your friends at high school, something high school. Uh Right, I was going to say not Double Dragon. Not right? Double Dragon, but it was the high school. Oh, I cannot believe I don't remember it, but it felt like kind of like that, like you're with your homies yeah. and you you could face down hordes of of faceless naysayers and like just just win them over. Um there was just this this visceral connection, there was this power that was added to it and it's just like ah, like cuz we were always influenced by like Public Enemy, um The Coup other like hip-hop groups the roots that are uh, performing mm-hmm. a live band it's just like oh and it's like now we see why why they do it and um i remember way back there was a odious film called judgment night um but it had the most remarkable soundtrack i don't know if you remember it yeah like the metal and rap mashups right yes it, it was rock it was, it was different types of rock so it was alternative metal all yeah, those things and rap that's right and some of those like i think one of the best songs that de la soul ever did was the one with a. Uh, Mud Honey. It was that song Fallen. Being able to be with that band like felt like we got to kind of find ourselves as like this is who we are. So the violin was that when did the, you add that element? Technically the entire Flowbots project which started when we were ba- way back in high school and like yeah. we kept on like adding pieces and finding them and we like uh, I would say that McKenzie the viola player was like the final ingredient and I think like Jamie Jamie and McKenzie met at some club when they're both trying to register the other one to vote. Okay. And then they're like, oh, 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 Kyle, cool. Oh, what do you do? But like, I'm a rapper. It's like, oh, I, I play viola. But I was like, hey, you want to be in my band? She's like, oh, let's try it out. Boom. And, and, and then from there, that's where I would say like, that's when the actual modern incarnation of Flowbots was truly created. Like we have like, you know, kind of like your issue zero or your beta tests of the different flow bots but like once mckenzie showed up then we actually had a working model right who came up with the name when we first started flow bots there was like seven rappers right oh <laughs> and a band it was just it was this massive kind of like wu-tang, wu-tang yeah. kind of thing <laughs> yeah one day when i wasn't there they're like they came up with the name and they called me i'm like hey Stefan, we got the name for the band i'm like okay and i was already feeling salty about it because i wasn't there right you know? Right. Imagine, imagine, you know, like just like just be any human being, and then just add like several heaping teaspoons of like what adolescent ennui and like nation uh, testosterone and all these things. It was really easy for me to get into my feelings, so I was like, "All right, okay, what's the name?" Already not enthusiastic, and they said Flowbots. I'm like, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life," and I actually hung up the phone. <laughs> but the reason, the reason, the reason is it had to do with like nerd stuff for me, right? Sure, because like we were all nerds, so. Flowbots is kind of a derivation of GoBots, and GoBots was like the super off-brand version of Transformers. Uh-huh. The story sucked, the transformation sucked, the toys sucked, like everything about it just blew. <laughs> Do you remember like the main bad guy in GoBots? Remind me about him. He was a motorcycle. It was a silver motorcycle, <laughs> and he was his name. He went by the name of Psykill. Okay, Psykill, <laughs> right? Right. And 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 his transformation was just that like. 
you would take the wheel from in between his hands and slide them down to his sides. And that was pretty much how we transformed from a, a vehicle into a robot. Right. It was just, it was just sad. So I was, I, I was, I was not happy about it. And for, for many different reasons, but then like what now almost, wow, goodness, like 25 years later, um, it's been a name that I've been proud of right. and have gone like all over the world. <laughs> um, like rallying people under the flag of their own power, which we call Flowbots. When did you realize it was a cool name? When did you realize that your birth name was a cool name? I think it's kind of like, well, this is, this is kind of like the name that we have. I'm happy with it. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. So I, some people might think it's cool. I remember we were doing a tour one time with Gogo Bordello oh, and, wow. uh, you, and Eugene came up to us, like the, the front guy from uh, Gogo Bordello. And he was just like, Flowbots, weird name. And we're like, what are you talking about? You named your name like you're named after like the no like after a philosopher, like, right? <laughs> a mathematician. Like No Enemies, right? Is that your newest yeah. album or your latest record? Yeah, that's that's the latest one, yeah. All right, so you you guys are now independent, right? When we were signed to a major label, it wasn't like they were all like in up in our business and all that stuff, but just that kind of pressure with all of that money. Yeah. Did have a kind of gravitational pull on our creative process hmm. um just the expectation of you all are going to make this money for us kind of a thing it's just so different that it 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 weighed on us in a way that we didn't realize until we were independent again hmm. and like being independent then we felt like the pressure was coming from our fans and that is a great kind of pressure. But um, we, I think we, in, in hindsight, we really struggled in, in the context of, of being in that gigantic machine. The second record, right, on the major label, was that Survival Story? Was that the second? Yes. When writing mm -hmm. that record, I'm sure there was a lot of pressure. They were like, okay, we need another handlebars. And you're like, we already did handlebars. I'm sure that was yes. <laughs> like a weird scenario. <laughs> Well, yeah. I think I think there's one of those things where like they had learned to code switch well enough. They learned that it doesn't work well with musicians. Uh -huh. So they did everything but say that. <laughs> so like you you turn in the demos and they're uh -huh. like, oh, these are great. Do you have anything else? <laughs> like, oh, wow. Like, what, they're, what they're pretty much saying is like, um, we're not hearing another monster lightning in a bottle hit. Can you guys keep working on some more songs and we'll see? Right. Oh, hey, great. Like, hey, we really love the direction of these demos. We want to bring in a producer. How does this producer sound? And we're like, oh, Mario Caldato Jr., the guy who worked with Beastie Boys? Yeah, we'll do that stuff. Like, yeah. That's what it was. It was. It was kind of like, hey, is this good enough? Every time we were turning in our essay, and they're like, hey, this is a great direction. Just a few tweaks. And uh, maybe mm. could you also write an entirely different essay <laughs> that so we like? <laughs> How many? So, did you end up writing more songs than ended on the record? Oh yeah, yeah, we did. But we we do that most of the time anyway. Some of them would made it onto the next project when we like they they'd been baked and more uh, more well done. Yeah. Um, other ones still haven't seen the light of day because we still didn't see a way to make it happen and be faithful to what the what we hoped it was going to be. Um, yeah, there's one or two of them that I'm still like seeing if now is the time for that song. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. So, okay. So that brings me to my next question. Have you been working on any like new EPs or albums that you're, that you can talk about or any new musical projects? Oh yeah. That's, that's the beautiful thing about being independent. I could talk yeah. about anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, yes, we are working on a new project. I mean, we got, a. Uh, very important election coming up. Yes, sir. And we would like to make some of our opinions heard and some of our provocations um, to uh, America as a whole uh, more well known. So yes, that is something that we're working on now. Um, I actually just today had to order a new computer because the one that I have is not sufficient for what I'm asking of it in the creation of this new music that's exciting so yeah we, we we are working on some new stuff i'm but yeah in in the modern landscape of music i'm not sure that i'm going to say it's an album because i'm not sure how relevant albums are at yeah. this point 
or or even like how, sometimes how the idea of an album can get in the way with you making the music available in a more timely manner right so so we're hoping to just like get stuff out um and then like whatever that container is is uh, sublimated by um just getting it to the people that's great so we'll see yeah we'll see uh, hopefully very soon we're, we're working on stuff now it's cool man that you took that that you built this independent platform with these huge spotify and huge social media numbers that you're using to then project and not have to be doing it through like an antiquated system and hats off to you man that's that's really cool oh well thanks thanks um we're not good at the hustle of it and it always feels uh disingenuous to us so i when we're sending stuff out it's got to be about something that's actually real and relevant yeah to us and we and we, we we we've seen in general that our fans have appreciated it, although they'd like to hear from us a little bit more so we're working on that too <laughs> what was like the longest run of, of shows you've done to date something like eight or nine weeks whoa that's long <laughs> that was long that was that was very long it was very hard to make music during that time yeah i was just like i was like oh it, it's kind of the uh, dilemma of getting everything that you asked for. And then you're like, oh, but if I have all of this, I'm totally out of touch with my community. Right. I'm like totally out of touch with any grassroots movements, causes, or like, I don't even know like what kind of uh, duress my community is experiencing right now. Like I'm just totally out of touch. I'm in a metal tube with the same 12 people for nine weeks straight. Yeah. It was, um, it was actually incredibly fun, but so disorienting for that to kind of also be your job i can also say like man i i don't think i've ever worked harder and felt like i was wasting my time more than when i was touring for nine weeks because you know like when you're touring you're like there's actually so little of it that's the work day if technically it's the show right like that's including sound check two and a half hours three yeah, yeah. and then like the rest of it's driving and sleeping in weird spaces like and then and then like running around trying to get food like i think it could actually make a kind of decent video game <laughs> but um that's funny it's <laughs> <laughs> and then feeling like you have all the time in the world but you also are constantly late and constantly yes like, it's a weird juxtaposition of of like mind states and for 9 weeks that's so long that's like crazy it was so long and like the other thing was like I didn't get to see nothing. People were like, oh man, touring. Like you get to see the world. It's like, nah, man, I get to see the same iteration of one neighborhood right. like played out across all of these different countries. It's always like some neighborhood that's on the borderline of gentrification. And there's mm -hmm. like some tattoo shops, maybe a comic shop, some liquor stores. There's a venue. There's some place you shouldn't go. And like, that's, that's about it. And you get to play in that neighborhood all over the world. Right. That's funny. <laughs> How were ways that you all kept like your friendships intact. Any advice for other musicians who might be about to start careers? Like what did you learn worked well and what didn't? Um, I think what didn't work well is uh, not coming up with like the rules for the camp, right? Like, like what like if, if people are able to kind of know beforehand what some of their very real needs are, it requires a lot of like knowledge of self kind of a thing. Yeah. And then like being able to create a mechanism by which you all can communicate those needs and be flexible when those needs change in the process. So like, that's like mm. really abstractly said, but like if at first maybe everybody's really cool with partying and drinking like every night. And then after a while, people are like, I need to rest or like, Hey, can this be quiet? All of those things, being able to have a process so that that can be expressed because otherwise what ends up happening is that the unspoken agreements when somebody goes against it it starts feeling like you're betraying the entire container and then mm. and then when somebody starts advocating for what they need or if they're advocating for somebody else's needs now you're almost like showing disloyalty to the unspoken agreements and the packs that you've already made um and so like that that was one of the things like for me i when Mackenzie and I were in the band, like one of the reasons we were super psyched to um, get signed is that we both had pre-existing conditions before Obamacare. So it made it almost impossible for us to get healthcare. But when we got signed, that was part of our deal is that we would have healthcare through SAG and the label would pay for it. So it was super wow. dope. It was super dope. But like for me, I had this heart condition that if, if I start getting like very stressed over a long period of time, it's actually extraordinarily dangerous for me. 
And maybe by our third wow. tour, I started saying like, hey, um, I want us to be able to talk about our grievances and all of these things. But if we ritualize complaint, and if it's nothing but people being extraordinarily stressful, it may actually shorten my ability to perform. So I want this to be a chill atmosphere. I need it to be a chill atmosphere, but that, but that, that does not mean that it needs to be a dishonest one. So we started trying to figure out how do we, oh, let's start having meetings on a somewhat regular basis. All right, like right after sound check is done, let's check in and that's when we'll talk about the changes that we wanna, like that we need to make or like different grievances, like trying to make a place for all of these different things. And then also trying to, like, you know, people, allowing people to get their distance and space when they need to. Like for me, I'd wake mm. up first thing in the morning and like when we had a, a bus, I'd get my bike out and just bike just me on my bike in some city and I actually got to see the city for a bit. Even if that meant I only slept three hours, it was worth it for me just to be able to do something and explore. But people also understood what I was doing and why I was doing it, right? Mm. Um, yeah. And just like being able to like allow other people to even share in that with you. But we, we say so much, communication is an easy thing to talk about, but I think being able to create different rituals of connection are really important. So we made sure that everybody was back at the venue, like after soundcheck by a certain time, we try to eat meals together kind of a thing. Um, yeah. Just like things to, to, to be and see each other other than like making your, the, making your art a day job at an office. Because if, if you don't protect it, you might end up hating the thing that you've loved your entire life. I remember watching you guys uh, at that show at the mall in Hollywood. You did like a huddle before you went on stage. Every time, yes. And and I hear what you mean because you never want it performing to feel like you're punching a clock and it's something you, you resent or regret doing because then the magic is like definitely goes away, right? It's easily said, but like there has there have to be ways that you can navigate the tough exchanges that's necessary in order for you to stay in that uh, loving relationship. If that's with a partner, if that's with your art, um, there need to be ways that you can like navigate the tidal waves when they come through. Um, otherwise, the trauma or the things that come to threaten or break it will start to define the relationship as opposed to the victories. You put that really well and like, uh, yeah, I think that's very helpful. It really comes down to communication and, uh -huh. and being able to be vulnerable and trust that you can be vulnerable and honest with the people who you care about. Are you, would you say you're optimistic about no. the world? No. <laughs> okay. No. Let's talk about that. I think optimism is a waste of energy that could be spent improving the world. I think it's very easy for people who are often optimistic to have their balloon popped and their day ruined. Okay. Um, yeah. I have a much darker take on things. It's just like, wait, wait, no, no, no. Like, people are horrible. The world <laughs> is unfair. It's a dark yeah. place. And it's a beautiful act of rebellion to bring light to this shadow, sheltering world. And that's mm. what's that's what's beautiful for me. And so like that's my act of will. That is my ritual. It's like, yes, things are not ideal. And in this situation, like all the comic books and stuff that I've read that have kind of become like borderline holy text for me is like you mm. what what is it that Neil Gaiman says? Like the essence of bravery is to um be afraid and do the right thing anyway, um, something like that. I love that kind of a thing. Um, and that's also like, that's kind of the, the source of my activism is like, yes, in, in this case, like when the world is filled with wrongs, uh, doing the right thing is an act of beauty or attempting to do the right thing because it's not always clear what it will be. So yeah, I, I, I'm not optimistic, but I, I like, I like to fight the fight. Um, and I think the effort of the fight is one of the things that keeps you honest. You know, um, Voltaire wrote Candide, making fun of optimistic, blind yes. optimism, right? <laughs> yes. You, your optimism is not blind optimism. It's maybe the better word is having faith that like doing the right action or trying to 
find light and like perspective and everything will ultimately be worth the effort, hopefully. Right. Am I here? Um, I wouldn't even say it's worth necessarily like worth the effort. Like my idea is like, is there a reward for a life well lived? Probably not. Um, (laughs) um, but like for me, you know, the, the, there's that common ad, like the, the common phrase that we say, like, how do you sleep at night? Well, I sleep at night knowing sure. that I'm trying every day. Like, I feel yeah. like I've earned my sleep. You know, when I'm talking to my students, um, when I am like out in the streets or any of those things, I feel like I am, con- I am talking to people with a clarity of vision that is not obscured by a reality that is not guaranteed. Right. So in the same way, like I am not going to teach like one of my students in the Boulder County jail. I'm not going to say like, Hey, you know, you just got to believe it and you're going to become a reader. Like, no, no, I will tell them instead. I, Hey, we got this comic book here. There's all these pictures here and there's a story and there's a story that I've chosen specifically for you because I think it matches up with what's happened with you. And we're going to sit down and, and, and read this together. And any questions that you have or anything that you have, like anything that's like stopping you for a moment, I'm right here and I'm there for you. If Mm. I stay in that relationship with that student in Boulder County Jail and we do that like for a full week, they will be a better reader by the end of the week. Yeah. I don't have to make that promise. I just have to make a promise to the work. And like, I have to know what the process is. And then, then liberation can come from that. So that's kind of like my... That, that's the way I am. Like I, I will never sit down and talk to my students and tell them that everything is going to be okay. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I do have a problem with lying to people in vulnerable places, and that's where most of my students are. Um, mm. So I just I don't find much utility in that. But I do think if I well outline the darkness from my perspective, then the two of us can hold hands and we can make it through that hallway together, right? I remember JJ telling me about, what was it called? Comic books in the classroom? It's yeah, like was like a n- nonprofit that like you were s- super involved with or like helped start. Is that right? Is th- is that related to what you're talking about? Yeah. So the Denver Comic Con is part of the pop culture classroom. It used to be the comic book classroom, then it changed to the pop culture classroom. Yeah. So that that convention that you were playing was actually a massive fundraiser for that nonprofit. And oh, I've been, the Comic Con. Yes. Yeah. So I've been deeply involved with them for a while, and then I helped them pilot pilot their lead program, which was a literacy in detention program, um, where we would take our students and teach them, well, we teach them how how to read comics, and then how to create their own, and the ones and then their own would be kind of like be stories from their own life, and we found in general that if you use art to talk about your own life, then it destigmatizes it. And it allows like your story that maybe even might've been one that was also often in like a context of being a victim. Now that you're the one who's telling it, you get to be the author and, and you get mm. to take your story back kind of a thing. And uh, so that's what we did with the lead program. And it was uh, still like as an educator, one of my favorite teaching experiences ever. My students that I had in, in uh, jail were like some of the most attentive most excited, most voracious students I've ever encountered. I, I mean, I loved wow. it every day. The only thing I hated yeah. was like walking into the place. Um, my students, I didn't worry about at all. But man, if, if you talk about like how people flourish in different environments, that is environment set up for people to stagnate and wither. There's there's mm. no other reason like for the way that those places are built other than to like <sighs> capitulate somebody's self sense of self-worth and power. And therefore reading and education and comics like that quote unquote escape is so important. And so many great activists and writers really had a lot of education in prison. The national view on education and programs in uh, correction facilities is like dimmed incredibly. Like it's, it's much more difficult for people to get education. There's been a huge backlash where folks feel as though people who are incarcerated should not be able to get education or degrees or associates. Uh, there's just like a lot, there's been a big shift in how this country feels about punishment. And, um, then we're, we're, and we're seeing that play out in recidivism, like how often like people who've been in corrections for a long time return, all of those things. Um, people are shutting down library programs. It's just, it's, it's rough, and it's not as though I don't understand 
what their perceived um, priorities are in punishing people. Um, but I do think that there need to be other voices added to that dialogue. And I hope that we swing towards a more compassionate um, configuration so that corrections can actually be an opportunity for people to grow as opposed to wallow. And I've seen just a whole lot of wallowing and suffering in my times in jails and prisons. The semantic meaning of that word to corrections, to correct, to like help, right? Yes. To like not just as a, as a throwaway word, <laughs> actually to help people. So, well, I mean, I, I think cool. everybody has to choose like in some ways, like, or discern what their ministry is, like which ways in which they shine in communicating with folks, which, which areas in which maybe they don't shine, but it's a place of challenge that they're looking forward to and other places where they're like, ah, I shouldn't be doing that. That's not me. But mm. some, something I'm finding very often is like among the progressives, among, among the left or even like the, radical left um oddly enough i'm finding that we are blind to our lack of compassion and um we are invisibilizing the pain of those who we are, are most um, aggressively disagreeing with um and to put that in other words i feel mm. like i don't think in the modern conversation there is much space for a white person to say that they are suffering um, and, and by that, I mean, this movement that has allowed, allowed, allowed Trump into office has, a, I, in my perception, has a lot to do with the whole bunch of pain being invisibilized and invalidated and being given no place or forum. Now, regardless of what's happening nationally, I feel like every beautiful revolution takes place at dinner tables. And if we like mm -hmm. look at the nuts and bolts of how a lot of the things that have brought so much, ex ex like has brought about the expansion of democracy, it's been because certain folks have been able to bring something dissenting to the dinner table and still be able to talk with it with nuance and compassion so that minds can be changed and the idea of what humanity is can be expanded. There's this uh, book called The Righteous Mind that actually talks about the actual different predispositions of a radical mind or a conservative mind and the actually mm, different wow. priorities um, and values that are upheld by these, by, these, uh, by these different kind of mind types. And what's so amazing about that, I feel like, is if you're really looking at people as real people who have an opinion that is valid in their life experience, right? This book, The Righteous Mind talks about like, that is the only way that you can change somebody's mind. If you like truly just look at a diagram, like they show it a diagram by which most people are able to believe an opinion or listen to opinions that that's divergent to theirs. The first thing that you do is you find common ground. You're like, right. find common ground and then like give validation to them or feeling the way that they do. That does not mean that we agree with it. That does not mm -hmm. mean that we're okay with it, right? But to validate, like, I see why you feel that way. I get it. And then like, kind of like in something that's not necessarily the Socratic method, because you're not trying to dismantle their argument. You're trying to shore right. up the argument, right? And you're like, oh, I see that you see, feel this way, you feel this way, you feel this way. Okay, and you're feeling these, 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 and these. Well, what do you think also about this? Talking about mm. this, this thing that you've already agreed with somebody. Like you've made, it's, it's, not, it's not even um, a capitulation. Um, it's not like you're even sublimating your values. You're trying to connect with another human being. And I think that's one of the things that we are being deliberately trained out of in this, in this modern context. Uh, you know, democracy, yeah. a, a democracy is a contract of disagreements, right? But like you still, right. but it's still a contract. Like, so like right yeah. now we are not, we are like through technology and like our own new culture and all these things, we're increasing the, uh, the depth of the walls around our echo chambers and believing that yes. the world is represented in it. So I, there's going to be something incredibly difficult anytime that you like step outside of the vault 
uh, just making like a fallout reference. There's an entirely different world <laughs> out there. Um, right. And so, yeah, I, I feel like there's been some very basic human connecting technologies that we've fallen out of favor or out of place with about like how to listen to somebody first, just listen to them and, and like see what they're actually saying. Cause it's, man, it's, there was a time when I used to teach elementary school and I remember, um, one of my second graders, uh, she skinned her knee. And as she was coming up to me, a whole little scenario played out where I was like, if she came up to me with her, like with her knee bleeding, and my first response was, hey, what's the big deal? That doesn't hurt very much. Right. What would that do to her pain? And I think in that situation, it actually would worsen the sensation of pain. Because, because you would trivialize it or kind of ignore it? Yes, or, right? or invalidate it. Like, it's one of the best ways to increase another human being's suffering, which yeah. is to invalidate their suffering. Whereas opposed to like, mm. when, I, when I saw her, the first thing I did is I picked her up, I scooped her in her arms, scooped her in my arms. I'm like, all right, we're, I'm, I'm, we're gonna help you out. Like, this looks okay. We're gonna take you to the nurse's office, all of those things. And you could see her settle immediately, right? Mm. Um, I don't think that we are losing any kind of moral high ground by saying like, what is it that's hurting you? Then you can start having a conversation eventually about how does healing occur? Because something that I have found, and it's been a real labor of love and discipline for me, I can't tell you how many folks that like, I just, I know out of hand, I will just so incredibly disagree with that I've like steeled myself and then had a very real conversation about what matters to them and then found like, oh, I mean, I knew this, but now I know this. We want the same things, but we've just found incredible ways to argue about everything else except what we want. Right. And that's yeah. been like, that's been something that's humbled me on many different times. And I also, I just want to be very clear. This is not advice that I'm trying to give to everybody. Like I feel as though like, like me, there've been times I've deliberately stepped into incredibly conservative rooms, towns, all of these things and had these conversations as a black man in a place where like nobody's seen anybody like me, right? Um, right. That kind of stuff is my ministry. I, I feel like I've been prepared for that kind of thing. I feel like I'm ready for it. It gives me energy. It does not diminish me. Um, but what I am asking is like for those people that we might be adjacent to in our lives, can we perhaps show the compassion to start with how are you suffering and without cynicism listen and then see where the conversation goes you talk about echo chamber and that is so monetized and it's mm -hmm. so it silos us and like having real conversations with real people is important and that's why i really enjoy doing this podcast with all the interesting people i've met making music and that's why hip hop is such a great tool because it connects us and allows these conversations to happen. And um, you explain that brilliantly and I feel inspired by oh, that. Oh, thanks, man. That insight. <laughs> uh, we, I want to end with a, a Flowbot song. And uh, is there any song you might want to introduce and I'll drop it in at the end. And before that, if there's anything you want to plug or social media or anything like- Well, any well, man, like, I think one of the things that precipitated even this reach out was like, I had a dream about one of your projects. Do you want to talk about it? Let's talk about I'd it. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to talk about it. I mean, how much do, do your, your listeners know about this project? How much are you ready to share? For years, I've been working on this idea of a, a hip-hop-themed puppet show with puppets that travel through time and help teach about um, the history through the elements of hip-hop. keeps changing, but it's, yeah. So you left me this amazing message about a dream you had about bringing inspiration to the to it, people. Oh man! Oh man! I'm I'm so down to talk about dreams. I've been lucid dreaming since I was like 12 years old when I read an article about it in Omni magazine. Um, yeah, man, dreaming is just like it's the jam. But then also, like to be yeah. fully transparent, I I told you I called you about that dream like shortly after having it, so I barely rem yeah. I barely remember a lot of it. Like so I, so what <laughs> I in dream logic the information that had been passed to me is like. Oh, this is this is like an episode of MC Lars's show. And in it, like there was 
something going on where some sort of like forces of silencing, there's like th th these group of people who would like kind of come in. And I think it was kind of like a manifestation of gentrification. Like this was beautiful city that was just like covered in incredible murals. And um, as the silence would come in, it would strip the colors from the mural and then the whole thing would start being covered in shadow and people started losing themselves if they, if they got hit by the shadow. I'm remembering the fear mm. of that. And um, the character that I was, which is like a normal person, but then like one of the characters in it was apparently like one of the, like was part of the show in some way. And like their element of hip hop was graffiti. And what they were able to do was um, any, anything that they painted would actually become like real. It would become like these very real structures in space. So what it would, like he could paint something and create a bridge and allow us to escape or do this beautiful like throw up and it would be a wall between us and the people. And, um, and I think as the dream was like coming to a close, it was just kind of like talking about how hip hop has always, like not always, but can be this beautiful liberating practice that teaches people how to free themselves from their shadows. That's kind of mm. like what I'm remembering or, or from their shadows or the shadows of the world that will like seek to um, in some ways conceal their difference. Because like once you extract all of the culture from any group of people, they do get to belong, but they've lost their voice. Right. And wow. hip hop does the opposite. The actual physical art being something that like can transcend and jump off the wall yeah. and make positive change. And it's kind of like you with teaching people to read comics and how to read who are incarcerated, like having these tools or like the name of your, your record, your, your second record fight with tools, yeah. bringing that to people. And when you do something creative and inspiring, it can have unintended like, um, inspiration. So yeah. yeah. When you left me that message, like that is awesome. That's a really cool <laughs> and, story. And, and, hey, Anytime you want somebody to nerd out with on that kind of stuff, brainstorming, I feel like, is probably one of my only superpowers. I love that <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah. Cre like just creating stuff. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I, I'm so hyped for this to happen. I can't, yeah, I can't wait. I can't That's wait. What's up. We could do it off mic. We'll do it off yeah. mic so we don't reveal our secrets. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, what, so is there a song we should, you, you might want to end with failure games off of no enemies that came from Jamie and I kind of realizing that there's like certain shapes and patterns that happened as, as activists, at different stages of your activism. Like there's like a lot of times when you get started as an activist, you actually think that you can do anything and you're with a group of people and you're like, Oh, we're going to topple patriarchy tomorrow. Da, 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 like all these things. And it right. doesn't, it doesn't happen. Like there, there might even be a point in time where you feel like everything might happen. They're like, oh, we've worked so hard for this, all of these things. And then it doesn't. And when it doesn't, um, people start turning on one another. Um, things can get very, very dark. Uh, you start doubting every, like everything that went from confidence now turns into doubt. Um, everything that felt like victory now feels like failure. Um, mm -hmm. Friends start turning against one another. Like it's, it's a very common process. And it's like, it's, it's one that you'll find like a lot of times whenever like a group of people have achieved something and then like are trying to mimic said success. Like you can find that in bands, any of these things. So for us yeah. in particular, like this, this one failure games is kind of like once you've built up this movement, things are doing, like everything is going and then like you feel like you're going to topple the giants tomorrow and the next day it doesn't happen. That's what this song failure games is. It's talking about like that feeling of loss and maybe even the people that you lose in the process. But um, I think the reason I'm even like wanting to have that song go out there is just like, let us locate the, what is that? What is that term? The nadir, like the low point or whatever. Mm -hmm. let's, lo yeah. let's locate it. Let's locate it. Let us know it and understand that like as dynamic creatures, we're never going to, we can't stay in one place. So it's kind of dictated that this dynamic will change. So even like right now, as we're um, feeling the, the deep gravity of this virus, um, as we're seeing incompetence yeah. in world leadership, all of those things, um, I think that there's something to be said for being able to truly mourn a moment and give yourself permission to do so and then wake up tomorrow and, 
do something else. So that's why I think Failure Games is the song that I'm choosing for this moment. Like being able to be be real about when things are hard. Like right now yes. with the with the COVID nineteen, it's hard, man. And it's these like it's been fun doing these podcasts remotely, of course, but it's also like scary and people are like it's day it's a scary time and we have to like admit that yes and it's it, absolutely in a, way, a, fa- a failure of the health system a failure of a lot of things right now in in the world and yeah we we hope we don't know how bad it's going to get and and how long it will take to recover and it's uh it's, it's we need to acknowledge that otherwise we're it's insane it's insanity to not acknowledge exactly that. and if we can acknowledge the loss then we can do something with it right right then we can we can learn from it we can move to something else but if we uh, if we if we get lost in the acknowledgement of the loss to such a degree that it paralyzes us then we have no options if we act as though the loss never happened then it also means that we will never be able to grow so it's just yeah this is my like dark light pessimism or whatever it is however we we <laughs> phrase this <laughs> It's well, the light is there, and I think it's yes. a cool one. We'll end with this jam. Is um, where can people sub- follow you and your um, online or anywhere like you or the band? Any um, any Twitter or anything we can plug here? My Instagram, which I'm about to be putting a lot more stuff on, is um, Brerness. That's B R E R N E S S. And then for the Flowbots itself, our IG is just um, at Flowbots Music, and uh, of course. Uh, if you go to flowbots.com, we're going to be uh, making a few more announcements about upcoming projects soon. It's been great connecting with you today on this. Man, it's been so great connecting with you. I'm so appreciative of this of this moment, of these moments, and especially in the time like this. So yeah, man, thank you for, for this opportunity. From No Enemies, this is Failure Games by Flowbots. Peace! My brother, we lost you to the waters that have always lied to us. I lost you thought my hands were quick. But they were never quick enough I lost you to the demons That have grown up in the crib with us And I wasn't in your corner When those lies came to fisticuffs My other were all born with a dragon branded On our shoulder blades Scars are invisible But my spine knows the way All of us in the struggle don't need a diagnosis When depression is a constant We all know but do not notice But diplomacy of monsters Those we hold up Are we lifting them up Are we tying them down to the altars We anoint our leaders young But if I'd been there in the lobby Would you have made it to the balcony And how many hands do we need To do right by the mouths You'll be in position up an ugly sun is the heat to kill the shade away Dead songs for willing servants Late still but still laid away No candles on the dead they can't Couldn't fit it on the schedule Couldn't pull the strings to get it going Cause I'm all out of Geppetto moves Handcuffs and statues And strange fruit makes bad juice Stay house and don't shoot The solutions of Medusa Trying to turn us into statues If I can only make these hands move Your mother's voice is the only one That names you and claims you So happy birthday, time traveler, feel the frozen flames Try to fly first aid when challenger first rose to fame I was in the third grade, they fell to earth when explosion came Melted whatever snows remain Now the cavern is riverside like Arizona openings Now the pattern is given highs like serotonin, dopamine Citywide black and blue regalia Trade apologies like a boat exchange Sail mine, I'll sail yours Master of human failure Overseen the underhanded I'm from the Panther. I don't understand, cause I had a hundred grand plan, now I want an answer. Living life boastfully, shoulda get rid of my hopes and dreams, I didn't die. Give advice, this isn't like it was supposed to be.
How Can You Not Love Br'er Rabbit from the Flowbots? Great song also. And I want to thank him for doing the interview. We did that remotely. Um, and so it's been working out. I've been able to, what I do is I FaceTime with my guests and then I have them record their vocals on a mic through like their setup they use for recording songs and they send me the wave and then I sync it. But you know, it sounds cool. And like, that's just how we are doing things with the social distance flavor. So that uh, concludes my interview with Stefan from the Flowbots. Next week, check it out. I start my two-part series with the Rondo brothers, Jim and Brandon, who are dudes who I produced a lot of music with over the years. Jim, I recorded uh, in December, and then Brandon, I recorded recently. I recorded the Jim one when I recorded Angelo from Fishbone. So that's got some older perspective, but uh, be sure to tune in next week. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're all feeling good. I appreciate you all. Thank you for your support, and be sure to keep in touch. And also, oh, I want to shout one last thing. The Discord. So if you go to mclars.com, there's a link to the Discord server where you can chat. And it's like a Lars community. It's kind of cool because it's not very, it's not corporate. Like Twitter and Facebook are kind of curated. Discord is cool. And I'm going to be on there. So check that out. I want to shout out all my homies on the Discord server. Okay. Talk to you all soon. Thanks. Bye.